0: Good morning everybody. Um, thank you to everyone who's um, shared this morning. It's been really beautiful um, to, to be here and uh, all that we've heard. Um, just one thing to mention before we, we come to God's word this morning. Um, so this is this is the end of our series um, through the book of Philippians and so next Sunday um, we're going to be hearing about the work of open doors. Uh, Many of you will know Rachel Corral, our own Rachel Corral, uh, rather than the the other ones. Um, Where is Rachel? Is she fled? Oh, she's fled. Oh, there she is. Rachel um, started working for Open Doors just uh, in August time. Um, And so Rachel is going to be sharing a little bit about what she does with Open Doors. Um, One of her colleagues is also going to be here to share about the wider work. Uh, uh, open doors work with the persecuted church around the world um, and so really encourage you to be here next Sunday uh, to kind of get that big picture of some things that are going on in our world and how we can pray um, and also to hear about Rachel so we can know how to encourage and support Rachel um, in her work. Uh, so that's next Sunday and then after that we'll start to get in an Advent-y, christmas kind of mood uh, the weeks after that. Um, so let's pray together as we come to open up God's word. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you um, that we've been able to be together this morning as a family of people who, um, who love you and also who are very aware that we need you. And Father, I want to pray um, as we come to open up your word, we want to confess together that we need to hear from you. We need your word to be a a lamp for our feet and a a guide for our path. Um, Father, we need you um, to nourish us and strengthen us for the journey. We need you um, to speak words into our life um, that will guide us and lead us. Um, and give us encouragement and give us hope and so father I want to pray as we open up your word would you speak to us by your word would you speak to us by your spirit would we carry something away with us this morning and into the week uh, that would do us deep good and lasting good because it's come from you uh, to us and we've heard your word and so we pray you would speak to us in the name of Jesus Amen. Um, so I ha- have to confess, um coming to the end of the series in Philippians, um I uh, earlier in the week I hadn't looked yet properly at the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. Um and I kind of I kind of in my mind was thinking the end of Paul's letters tend to be kind of tidying up a few loose ends. Um and I kind of thought this would be a nice gentle ending to the series where we would make a few little final final observations and comments. Um, and it'd be just a nice little bring the plane into land and uh, be very gentle. Um, and then I read the passage, and I, I guess I realised that this passage at the end of Philippians um, I think is actually powerfully relevant to our current cultural moment um, and kind of prophetically relevant, I think, to where we are right now as a, as a culture. Um, and I guess Collins already referred to it um, in his prayers, but I, I guess I'm thinking especially of what is dominating our news at the minute um, is what people are calling the cost of living crisis, um, which is impacting everybody. Um, but maybe right at the beginning, I wanted to say, I think it's important to say, it's not impacting everyone in the same way. Um, for maybe maybe sometimes a little bit too lightly, we say we're all in this together. And it it does impact everybody, Um, but there's a a huge difference between the impacts on different people. Um, For some of us, it means kind of tightening the belt and giving up a few luxuries, Uh, and really it's about a kind of discomfort um, that we go through. Um, But for others right now, it means real distress and fear and awful, awful choices between heating your home or feeding your family. Someone I talked to last week told me a story of um, a a man in our local area who was a single dad who'd been chopping up his dining room table to burn for fuel. Um, And those are the kind of choices that people in our community are making. So I think it's important, you know, we can say very flippantly um, it's impacting us all and we're all in this together, but there's a great difference in how it impacts on different people. Um, And yet, this passage that we're about to read, I think, is a passage that does speak to all of us, whether we have a little or whether we have a lot or whether we're somewhere in between. Um, and I guess maybe maybe the question as we begin is, what is the best we can hope for through this crisis that's kind of upon us? Um, and maybe if we listen to the media voices, the The best we could hope for is to kind of grit our teeth and get through it. Let's just just get through it and weather the storm and we'll somehow get out the other side. And Paul in this passage suggests that we can hope for more than that. That actually in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, um, and this this can sound impossible, but in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, it is possible to be content, and it is even possible to be generous, and it is even possible in all of that to be joyful, right? And so I'm, I'm saying at the beginning that's, for, for many of us in current circumstances, that sounds impossible, but I want us to hear the word of God and let it speak to, to where we are. So let's read uh, from Philippians chapter 4. And you'll not be surprised to discover it begins with rejoicing. (laughs) Um, Philippians chapter 4, reading from verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you, to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm gonna, we're going to finish our reading there. We'll read the very end of the letter at the very at the very end of our morning, uh, but that's where we're going to end our reading for now. Um, what is the story of what's going on here? Um, just to kind of fill out the picture a little bit. So I think I've probably reminded you every week, Paul is in prison. You know Paul's in prison. Um, we've mentioned before, Um, In those days, the state, the empire didn't provide for the food and essential needs of prisoners, and so you were dependent on family and friends bringing you food, uh, providing what you needed. Um, And the Philippians, uh, we see in this passage, have sent a gift with Epaphroditus. They sent Epaphroditus to be a help to Paul, but they also sent a financial gift to provide everything that Paul needed. And so in a sense... We see here right at the end that the letter of Philippians is really a thank you letter. It's a thank you note uh, from Paul to the Philippians for their generosity to him. But he's talked about a few other things along the way. Um, but even as I say that, uh, maybe we need to mention this, that some people when they read Philippians um, don't think Paul sounds very grateful. Um, And there's a number of reasons for that. Um, One of them is, I don't know if you noticed as I read it there, although he says many things there, he doesn't actually use the words thank you um, at any point uh, in that that little section that we read. Um, People also notice he mentions the fact that their gift is a little bit late. He says, at last, you have uh, kind of expressed your concern for me. Um, Some people wonder if Paul's being passive aggressive by kind of mentioning that. Um, and Paul kind of lets them know in a variety of ways that he doesn't really need their gift, and he kind of mentions that a few times. Um, So what do we make of all that? Some people have read that and said, well, Paul doesn't sound very grateful. sounds a wee bit kind of hedged his thanks. Well, I think that's a misreading of what's going on. I think, in reality, Paul expresses his gratitude in lots of ways, Um, he says he rejoiced greatly whenever their gift arrived he said he kind of burst with joy whenever it arrived um, which sounds pretty thankful Um, he says in the middle it was good of you um, to share in my suffering he says near the end that their gift is a fragrant offering rising up to God so there's all kinds of language by which you can say thank you without saying thank you, I think there's gratitude bubbling uh, up all through this section. And Paul also, he, he realises he could be misunderstood when he says their gift has come at last. So he immediately says that he knows that they didn't have an opportunity up to now um, to express their concern, but now they've been able to. Um, and so I think there's there's lots of gratitude in this section. But if Paul is a little bit indirect, in his thanks, um, I think there may be a couple of reasons for that. Um, I think one of them is that Paul values their friendship more than their money. and I think that comes across in what he says in a in a genuine friendship, um, there'll always be giving and receiving. But if we value a friend just because of what they can give us, that's a very cold kind of friendship, a very shallow kind of friendship. We, if you wanted a big word, you would call it utilitarian. You just, you're just you just in it for what you can get. Um, Paul values their friendship more than their gifts. And so he rejoices because of their love and their partnership um, even more than the financial gift. Their gift is an expression of the bonds of affection and of love. So I think that's one reason why Paul is careful with his language. He wants them to know he values them more than the, the money. The second th- reason why Paul may be a little indirect is he, he doesn't want the Philippians to think that his contentment and joy depends on money and physical circumstances. He doesn't want them to think he's kind of been pacing his sail, um, asking the guard every few minutes, has there any money come from the Philippians uh, and unable to be at peace until it came, that he's kind of been miserable And then their gift came and now he's happy. He could have said that. He could have said, I was so miserable. And then your gift came and now I'm delighted. But what would that have communicated to them? That Paul's contentment and peace and joy depend on financial circumstances. And that leads us, I think, to our first big theme. There's kind of two big themes we want to think about this morning. And the first one is contentment. Paul says, I have learned to be content." whatever the circumstances. And he says it a few times in different ways. Um, He's learned to be content in need and in plenty, or more literally, in humble circumstances and in abundance, in hunger and when he's well fed, in want and in wealth. Paul is, is able to be content when he has a little and when he has a lot. Um, It's a really striking um, thing to say. Um, It it would have sounded, interestingly, to Paul's original hearers in Philippi, in Macedonia, which is modern day Greece, um, it would have sounded actually very similar to the language of some of the Greek philosophers, um, especially the ones that were were known as stoics, which is a word that's come down to us even today. We say someone's very stoical, they're a bit of a stoic. The Stoics taught that it's possible to achieve a state of kind of calm contentment where nothing flusters you, nothing disturbs your peace, and where your circumstances don't affect you in any way. That was a very Stoic kind of thing to teach. And Paul's language sounds a little bit like that. But the important difference, I think, is this that the Stoics taught that you achieve that calm contentment through self-reliance you find the resources of calm and contentment within yourself you don't need anything you don't need anybody if you were looking for an anthem for the Stoics you could you could sing I am a rock I am an island right Simon Garfunkel's song um, that that's a Stoic song if ever I heard one I don't need anything I don't need anybody I'm a rock I'm an island um, Paul is not a Stoic. Um, one reason you know Paul's not a Stoic is that Paul bursts with joy all the time. And the thing about the Stoics is they never go down into the pits, but they also never go up to the, the heights. They just stay like this all the time. Paul bursts with rejoicing all the time, so he's not a Stoic. But also um, because the secret of Paul's contentment is not self-reliance and independence, it is, but instead it is radical dependence on Jesus. It's a very, very different thing. And so Paul says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, but he goes on to say, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He's not finding the resources just within himself, he's finding them in Jesus. Um, I think it's probably worth noting in passing, um, this is one of those verses in the Bible which people love to take out of context. Uh, Maybe especially in other translations say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Um, And so people often love to apply that to any kind of challenge that we're facing. (coughs) So I'm running a marathon. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I'm going for a job interview. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And it's not wrong to take the Bible and apply it to different things going on in our, in our lives um, but sometimes we can take that verse to mean Jesus will help me win or Jesus will help me succeed and I think that's almost entirely to miss the point Paul is saying if I win and succeed I am content if I seem to fail and lose I am content. Paul's point is specifically that I am able to be content even when things are all going wrong, even when I seem to have nothing. I am content and I can do this through the one who gives me strength. Um, And so Paul is saying for us, for you, when you are in need and you're in want and you are hungry, Jesus can give you strength to be content, even with joy. And and it's worth pausing on, isn't it? To say, do you believe that is true? Do you believe that is possible? Um, that Jesus can bring that kind of contentment, even when you have very little. Um, I'm, I'm really aware, as the one speaking at the front, um, that I don't really know a lot about being in that place of real want and real <laughs> Um, destitution and real hunger. Maybe some of you do. Um, maybe you resent me saying these things from the front and you're thinking it's very easy to say. Um, but I want to encourage you not to hear my testimony here, but to hear Paul's testimony. Paul says, I know what it is to be hungry, I know what it is to be in real want. And in other places he talks about, he knows what it is to be imprisoned and flogged and shipwrecked and all kinds of other things as well. And Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in all those circumstances and even to rejoice because Jesus gives me the strength. He's speaking out of firsthand experience. I think there are people in this room who can testify to this, that when things are really hard and they have very little and everything seems to be going wrong. And they've every reason in the world to be discontent. They find a miraculous power at work in them that gives them contentment and even joy. There are Christians in many parts of the world today who can testify to this, that even in situations of real hunger and want and poverty, Jesus meets them in that place and give strength so that there is contentment and even unexpected ridiculous miraculous joy um, one of the experiences in my life that i've never forgotten was um the year before our firstborn caleb was born um 2003 i got the opportunity to go to holland um, for the world the world assembly of ifes which is uh the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, so student ministry around the world. And there were people at the conference from, I think, 160 different countries, um, which was just an amazing place to be. And you were having lunch with somebody from Serbia and somebody from Mongolia, and um, it was just, it was amazing and incredibly rich. But the one thing that, I've forgotten everything anybody said in the the talks or sermons, as you do, I've forgotten everything else uh, that I heard at that conference but the one thing I've never forgotten is when we were led in worship by brothers and sisters from Rwanda who recently had gone through genocide, when we were led in worship by brothers and sisters from um, various parts of South America who were telling us stories about extreme poverty and civil war and all kinds of things that we cannot imagine. And yet when they got up to lead us in worship, I have, never, I have never been led in worship by people overflowing with so much joy. And I may have said it before, it's the one time in my life I attempted to dance during worship because <laughs> I felt so rebuked. I, th- I felt so rebuked that I had so much and yet they were so overflowing with thankfulness and joy. And I remember particularly our brothers and sisters from Rwanda um, leading us in the song, Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. And blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, when there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Right? And they danced. <laughs> it is possible. Those who have been there are testifying, it is possible, even when things are really, really hard. I can do this through him who gives me strength. There can be contentment and there can even be joy. Um, It may even be, when you think about those things, it may even be that sometimes it seems contentment and joy are harder to find when we have a lot. We seem to find it hard. Uh, When we have plenty, when we have an abundance, when we're well-fed, we don't seem to be very content or even very joyful. And in our Western affluent world and in our middle-class neighbourhoods, there's often not a whole lot of contentment or a whole lot of thankfulness or a whole lot of joy, but often a lot of restlessness and anxiety and grumbling and complaining. And maybe it's an even greater miracle when Paul says... I've learned the secret of being content when I have a lot, (laughs) because sometimes that's even harder. But it's possible in all conditions of life. Um, If Paul teaches us about contentment, the Philippians teach us about generosity. And that's the other big theme I want to think about for a few minutes. Um, The the Philippians have a history of generosity. I don't know if you remember the the story of the birth of the church at Philippi, the first church in Europe, um, when Lydia's heart was opened to the gospel and then immediately she opened her home and invited people in. And that, that spirit of generosity continued in the story of the Philippian church. Paul says in the early days of their encounter with the gospel when they were still new Christians and they were just finding their feet in the life of faith and it was all brand new, they stood out, among all the churches that Paul knew because they shared with him in giving and receiving. Um, And when they heard he was in need, they sent aid more than once. And so this was a pattern and a habit with them right from the beginning of their story. Um, The the generosity that they're showing Paul now in prison is characteristic behavior for them. It's classic Philippian Christian behavior. (laughs) They've always been like that. They've always loved to give and to share. They're a church that loves to share and loves to give. Um, maybe when you hear that, you're thinking that's great that the Philippians were so generous. Um, but maybe you're thinking, I assume they must have been a wealthy church uh, that they could afford to be generous in this kind of way. Um, well, maybe. <laughs> but I, I want to I read you one of the strangest verses, uh, strangest sentences in the Bible. Uh, that I often go back to and kind of scratch my head. Um, uh, it was written about seven or eight years before Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, um, when he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 8. And, and this is what Paul says. He says to the Corinthians, I want to tell you about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Right Now Macedonia, that's Philippi. Philippi was the first of the Macedonian churches. So he says, I want to tell you about them. And the special grace that God has given them, and then comes this sentence: He says, "In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity." That is one of the weirdest sentences in the Bible, because you you do not expect to find those things together: severe trial and extreme poverty along with overflowing joy and rich generosity. Paul says it like it's natural. <laughs> all of it all just bubbled up uh, out of those kind of circumstances. Um, this is a church in Philippi that has practiced joyful generosity when they had a lot and also when they had very little. Because their genero- why, why were they able to do that? Because their generosity was not rooted in their own resources, but in the gospel and in God's resources, in the, in the abundance of God's goodness and grace. The gospel gave them a mindset of abundance and not scarcity. Right. Let me say that again the gospel gave them a mindset of abundance and not scarcity because they'd freely received God's generosity and God's abundant grace, and so with an open hand, They share generously and gladly with others. And when you're trusting in a good and generous God, you don't need to be afraid to be generous, whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. And so Paul says to the Philippians in another one of those beautiful moments in Philippians, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And Paul is saying that's true even in times of severe trial and extreme poverty. Um, maybe he would say to us, that's true even in a time of cost of living crisis going on in your culture. This is still true. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. And so I don't want to shy away from the practical challenge here for us. Um, which I think is this, if God has given you a lot, he hasn't given it to you just to hoard for yourself, but so you can share and give with joy, with an open hand. And so especially at a time like this, we need to really have our eyes open to see those around us who are struggling and to be asking, what do I have that I could share? What do I have that I could give? How could I make a difference to those around me? open our hands and open our homes. But also, if God has given you a little, you can still live generously and ask, how can I share what I have? Um, Do you remember the story of the widow in the temple? and She put two small coins in the box and Jesus said she's given more than anyone. Do you remember the, the little boy? Brought two little fish (laughs) to Jesus and a a few loaves of bread. And that story reminds us God can do a lot with a little. In His hands, it becomes an abundance of blessing that blesses many people, right? So if you've been given a lot, um, you have the joyful privilege of sharing what you've been given with others. If you've been given a little, you can still ask, How can I joyfully share what I've been given? I I wanted to say I've been really aware in recent weeks of people in this church who are living this way and who are a living example to me of this kind of joyful generosity. And people in this home who are opening their homes to Ukrainian refugees and uh, uh, others who are in need. People in this room who are opening their hands to give generously in ways they don't even want anybody to know about but are helping to heat other people's homes. This winter and giving in all kinds of other ways and some of those I see sharing have a lot and they're sharing joyfully and some of them have a little and they're sharing joyfully um, because it comes from the gospel it comes from the experience of the grace of God and so it's the same spirit whether we have a lot or a little his abundant kindness and goodness and generosity in our lives overflows to those around us, um, and I love the fact Paul makes it really clear that kind of joyful generosity—it's beautiful. <laughs> Paul says it's an act of worship; it's a fragrant offering that rises up to God. And I think it's a good reminder for us—you know, when we come here on a Sunday morning and we sing, uh, that's really good to be sometimes called that worship, and it, it's part of our worship. Um, God, I think God loves it when we sing, especially when our hearts are involved. Um, But it's also really important that our worship doesn't end there. Um, That we we bring more than a song. And I think God loves it even more when we take whatever we've been given um, and we share it joyfully and gladly uh, with those around us. Then the gospel becomes visible um, in our neighbourhoods. So I want to pray. And then I'm going to say two really short things to end so I'm going to end after I pray um, this morning so let's pray and then I'll say a couple more things. Father I want to pray Um, would you help each one of us to know what to do with what we've heard from your word this morning. Um, And I do want to pray especially for anybody here in the message who is really struggling at the minute um, with with finances and with worry about finances and with worry about the winter ahead. And I pray this message wouldn't feel heavy uh, to them this morning. Um, Father, I want to pray for each one of us. Would you help us to hear your word? Would you teach us In real life practice, what it means to be content in every circumstances and even with joy. We pray that Jesus would come and meet with us and give us strength, whatever our circumstances. And give us his peace and his joy. Father, I want to pray you would help each of us, whether we have a little or a lot, um, to gladly share what we have with those around us. Help us to trust you that you're a God of abundance and you own the cattle on a thousand hills and we don't need to be afraid to be generous. Father, I want to pray that every person here would experience something of your ongoing kindness and generosity and care in the days ahead but also that every single one of us would get the share and the privilege of sharing that generosity with those around us. Father, would this be? may this be a church that is known for its generosity like the Philippian church. Help us to live with an open hand, freely we have received. Now help us, show us how to freely give and to do it with joy. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right, I'm nearly finished. This is going to be super quick, but I wanted to finish the series. I want to read the final words of the the letter and then we're going to do something very simple together. Um, So Paul writes, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me in Rome send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, Amen. And so, two really small notes to finish the series. Um, one of them is just that little cent- that little phrase that says, "Especially those who belong to Caesar's household." It's one of those tantalising little phrases. Paul is in Rome, in the centre of empire, and he gives us this little glimpse that there are Christians in the household of Caesar. And they, they may have been members of Caesar's, Caesar's family. More likely, they were probably servants or slaves in the palace. But I love just that little hint that the gospel has infiltrated the heart of empire. And just that, that reminder again, if you looked around at that moment in time, you would have said the church is really frail and fragile and could be extinguished any moment. And you'd have said the empire is going to last forever, it looks invincible. But you fast forward 2,000 years, and the Roman Empire is studied in our history classes, and people puzzle over how did it fall, how did it end. And the Church of Jesus Christ is flourishing in every corner of our world. Uh, The gospel uh, far outlasted um, the empire. So I love that little hint right at the end of the, the letter. But the last thing is this. Um, Paul says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. And actually, more literally, Paul says, greet each of God's people. Um, So in other words, he's not saying, say to the church, greetings to you all from Paul. He's saying, I want you to go around and give each person a greeting. Because every person in the church of God matters. Every person in the family of God matters. And I kind of love that. Um, And so I could have ended by just pronouncing the grace from the front and saying the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit Um, I'm not going to run around and greet you all individually Um, I'm going to get you to do it for me so what I would love um, just for two minutes and then we're going to sing is would you just say hello to a couple of the people beside you around you would you find out their name if you don't know it and then I would like you to look them in the eye and I'd like you to say May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Right. Would you do that for me? And then we're gonna, the band are going to come up and they'll go straight into our final song. So take a minute, greet those around you um, and wish them the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ.